0: Amen. You may be seated, and good morning. If I've not met you before, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. We're delighted to have you. Real quick announcement. Sean asked me to remind all the men that the Men's Summit uh, is coming up, of course, the end of October, but this is like the last week to sign up and get the early bird pricing, which... I kind of thought that was almost like oxymoronic men and early bird pricing. Uh, you know, it just, I don't know. Uh, uh, I guess number have taken uh, uh, advantage of it. But here's the thing. Uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to put it out to our association of churches. And so uh, starting next week. So again, if you've not signed up, this would be the best time to get involved and be a part of that. We are in the book of Jonah. As you're turning there... Uh, actually had a couple things I needed to mention. One is this, if you've been around, uh, so probably, I don't know, five, six weeks ago, I, I had mentioned there's a young lady, uh, she goes way back. Her mommy and her mama and dad came to, uh, Desert Springs back when we were in Glendale, uh, right when we first started, back in 95, before she was actually born. She's, uh, she's a twin. And, uh, And then after her dad got cancer, went home, uh, kind of lost track of the family, she had reached out to me back in, I would say, December, just saying, hey, do you all help single moms? And when I got reached out to her, found out she was, she's pregnant. She's just kind of on her own. And I came to the church and said, hey, what can we do to help? And you all have been fabulous. I mean, we've had one uh, couple that have taken her in. Uh, She's living with them. That's all great. We had somebody who knew a friend, connected them. They donated a vehicle. Uh, A bunch of ladies just gave her a wonderful shower. You all have been fantastic. So the vehicle that was given uh, w- was awesome other than the, the check engine light came on not too long ago <laughs> and we took it in and it, it's just way more to fix it than it is worth so we made the executor decision we're going to sell that and we bought her some well it's a big old Tahoe too right so those of you who have a Tahoe you know it never sees a gas station it doesn't want to stop at and you know she's uh, you know again uh, So we decided that we, uh, Bert was able to find her something smaller and we picked it up. And, you know, we typically do that stuff out of benevolence. But since we're just starting our kind of our new year, uh, I know a lot of people have asked, hey, if there's ever anything that comes up, if there's ever anything comes up with Mariah, let me, you know, let me know. Well, we'd really like to raise about $6,000 to help pay for this car. Uh, And so if that's something that God would lay upon your heart, uh, if you could just kind of give over and above, just mark either Mariah or Carr or whatever, that would be a huge help. If not, again, it will just come out of our benevolence piece and we're good. And then there's a second thing that Mariah needs. And I don't even exactly know how to to bring this one up other than if God would lay this on your heart, I can't even imagine how many stars in heaven would be in your crown. But there's a cat. So Mariah has this little cat, think called Bambi, two years old. Obviously, with having a baby, she can't have the cat. She's got to get give it away. She's tried to go to the shelters. The shelters aren't going to take the cat. Um, And so my thought was, hey, maybe you might be able to tell I'm not a cat guy. All right, that's okay. God's forgiven me. It's a good... Uh, But maybe, I thought, maybe there's somebody here who, again, would like lots of stars in their crown and loves cats and would want to take another cat. Uh, If you would be interested in Bambi, see Bert. Bert's handling this. I'm not handling it. Bert's handling the cat thing, all right? The other thing I wanted to mention was this. So this last week, as a church, we got to host... Um between adults and kids, probably about someplace between 150 and 170 church leaders from across our entire region, mostly Arizona, but uh some some other states. And um and I you know I've always been i have you know I've been the pastor here a long time. I am just so proud of our church and the way that you all do life and live for Jesus and um And so I thought this would be cool, but here's the thing that probably you didn't know. So as we came together, our theme for this conference that we had here was on building healthy church culture. And I didn't want to tell you that because I didn't want you to be thinking about, I just wanted you to be you. Because if you were just you and the way you love on people, it would just model it for them. And and I gotta be honest, it was way even better than I thought it was. I mean, you guys, from those who made the meals, to those who did the security, to those who cleaned stuff up, to those who took care of the kids, I mean, you just loved on these folks. They just over and over and over just said, I can't believe your church. And not just that they serve us, but they do it with such a loving and kind spirit. And I just want to tell you, I've been, you know, I'm always proud of you, but I just don't know that I've ever been more proud than this moment. So one really Cool moment, right? So they're all staying at the wigwam because it's you know hotter than Hades out there. So you can get a really good cost price at the wigwam. So <laughs> I'm out here after the morning session, and we're breaking. the The parents have gone and gotten their their kids, and they're going to go. You know, the wigwam like pools, water slides, and the kid is crying because he doesn't want to leave because he's having so much fun here. Uh, with the the folks that were just loving on them. So again, thank you. It made such an incredible impact. And I just, uh, man, it was really, I mean, you all ministered in such a beautiful way some choice servants of God. And I just, again, saying thank you seems really, you know, not good enough, but thank you. Just thank you for loving on these folks. All right, if you got your Bibles, we are in Jonah chapter 3. If you weren't with us last week in Jonah chapter 2, what we saw is this, this move of God bringing him to kind of that, letting him stew in the mess of rock bottom and bringing about that, that point of repentance. As you get to chapter 3, the, the heart of this is about grace. And that's what I want to talk about. So let's read these 10 verses here together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Now, let me stop there because sometimes people get caught up. Well, you know, was it the size of Phoenix or whatever? Most likely, it was a series of cities. So, as a lot of times our city states... This would have been a group of cities that would have been considered Nineveh and so going from one to another. Verse 4, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. "'When the word reached the king of Nineveh, "'he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, "'covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. "'He issued a proclamation and said, "'In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, "'do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste the thing. "'Do not let them eat or drink water.'" But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity that he had declared and he would bring upon them And he did not do it. We're talking about grace today. The nature of grace at its heart. If you've ever heard, probably the best definition of grace is unmerited favor. The whole idea is that which is undeserved. So Jonah gets what he doesn't deserve. Right? What he deserved was he deserved to die. When they threw him off of the boat, because of his rebellion to the Lord, he deserved to die. He's in the belly of the fish. He deserves to die. But God gives him grace. And he gives them a second chance. Nineveh, as we talked about, a very wicked city. It, they, they were mean. They were, they, they were nasty. They were, they, were, they were bad people. But God gives them a second chance he gives them what they don't deserve and folk can I just remind you of what God gives us that is undeserved I mean what is it that we deserve I mean the Bible tells us as people that we're all sinners right there are none righteous no not one the Bible says we've all sinned. We all fall short of the standard of God's perfection. Isaiah put it like this. He says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our impurities like the wind take us away. So what do we deserve? We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. That's the the incredible thing about Jesus. In his grace, he took what we deserved. He took our punishment. But it's even better than that. He also then, in his grace, gave us what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness, which is standing before God, which is eternal life. And that's why if you're here today and you've not come to put your faith and trust in Jesus, man, that's that's where it all begins. It all begins with his grace. It's undeserved. You don't earn it. In fact, Isaiah says all of our righteous deeds, you know, that's kind of the the prevalent thought, right? Well, you've got to work hard enough and you've got to do enough good things and then you get in. No, 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 no. It says all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags to God's holiness. What we deserve is punishment. What we deserve is death. But by his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve, which is life. And when you look at this passage, there are three aspects of God's grace, three aspects of things that they get that they don't deserve. The first one is God gives them an undeserved Second chance. So you see here in verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Right? So you go back to chapter 1, it was the first time. He told him to go to Nineveh. And he rebelled. Now here's the thing though. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest about this. This isn't really a second chance. This is more like a 40th chance. 50th? Because here's Jonah. He's got to travel from where he lived, which is up in northern Israel, all the way to Joppa. How many points along the way could he have stopped and said, no, no, you know what? I got to do what's right and turn and head to Nineveh. He's got to go down and and pay the fare to get on the boat. And he could have gotten right there and said, no, no, I'm going to... I'm, I'm gonna go and do what's right. He wakes up on the boat in the middle of the storm. He knows what's going on. I mean, when they're all talking, eh, it's me, right? He knew. He could have repented. Says, "Okay, I'll go to Nineveh." Now nah. he's three days in the belly of the fish. When he finally repents, and God still gives them a second chance you think of the the Ninevites right ruthless I mean this is what they're known for skinning people alive now folks I don't mind dying but that is not on my top 10 list way to go they're known for taking people impaling them on sticks and leaving them to die in the hot sun ripping their enemies' tongues and cutting them out. These people were cruel. Why is God going to give them a second chance? It's grace. Second chance. Can I just remind you here today, I I don't know your story, I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord? But one of the things that I've noticed that the enemy often does in our lives when he, he tempts us to turn and go our own way and we follow that way and we decide that we're going we're gonna to walk our own, and walk in rebellion from God is that when we get out there and we're sitting in our mess and God's kind of working in our heart, and we're kind of wanting to turn back all of a sudden now what the evil one does is he starts to whisper in our ear of say no 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 it's too late have you ever experienced that how could God love you anymore look at what you've done and folk I just I need you to understand that God God is the God of second chances and you say but you don't know what I've done you're right I don't but God doesn't really care. He is a God of grace. He's a God of second chances. I mean, you think of the stories of grace in God's word. I mean, think of, um, think of one of Jonah's contemporaries, Hosea. <laughs> God wants to give them an object lesson of what it's been like for him with the children of Israel. So he tells Hosea, go find this prostitute and marry her and make her your wife. Her name's Gomer, which, by the way, don't know if her parents didn't like her or what, but Gomer, right? (laughs) Hosea marries Gomer. He impregnates her. She has a child. Cool. She gets pregnant again. Oh, this one's not from Hosea. She gets pregnant a third time. Oh doesn't belong to Hosea then she actually leaves him and I think by implication the kids that aren't even his and goes back into prostitution and what does God tell Hosea to do go buy her out of prostitution and bring her back home as your wife grace you think of the story that jesus told we call it the prodigal son it's really probably better named the the loving father because the son you know he wants his inheritance and you ever thought about that how rude the guy's not even dead i want your money and then he takes off with the money and he blows through it like that he ends up in a foreign country feeding the hogs their corn husk. and And again, we don't get this because we like our pork. But if you're Jewish, pigs were off limits. And here he is with the pigs and he can't even eat what they're eating when he thinks about turning back home. And so now he starts and as he comes back home, what does he find? His father there with open arms running towards him... Ready to throw the party because he comes home. Grace, think of uh, think of the woman that was brought to Jesus that was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, by the way, complete setup, right? Because if you're caught in the act of adultery, there should have been two people there, correct? Jesus knew their hypocrisy. That means mean she wasn't guilty. Just Jesus knew. Grace. He says, okay, because they want to stone her, right? Get Jesus in trouble. He says, okay, the one who's without sin cast the first stone. He, he leans down and he begins to write. We're not told what he writes, but the best the understanding, I think, of what happened there is he begins to write in the ground. He begins to write the sins of the men who are there cheats, pride, arrogance. Yeah. And slowly but surely, they all leave and it's just her. Is there no one here to condemn you? Neither do I. Oh, by the way, go and sin no more, but grace. folks. can I just... Tell you today and remind you today because today might be this day, this may be your first time here, and God just got you here. And as this child, you've been walking away, and He wanted you to hear this that you can't stray so far, and you can't be gone so long, and you can't screw it up so bad that you cannot find God's grace. God never tires of our new beginnings, He loves you. He is the God of second chances. And you say, but yeah, but I don't deserve it. No, neither do I. He's a God of grace. He's a God of second chances. Not only that, he's the God of undeserved standing. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. Now, think about this. Jonah had a very significant standing before the Lord. He was a prophet of God. Prophets of God were esteemed. Prophets of God <laughs> wrote his word and get in the Bible, right? Prophets of God had a high calling. But as a prophet of God, it meant you went and you did what God told you to do and you said what he wanted you to say. Jonah had thrown all that away. Go to Nineveh. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. We talked about it last week. God didn't need Jonah. He could have sent Amos. He could have sent Hosea. They're around at the same time. Isaiah is coming on the scene. He could have sent Isaiah. He doesn't need Jonah. But in his grace, he gives him that standing. And that's what happens. Again, so often when we decide to go our own way and we're going to figure this out and then we're sitting there in our mess and we kind of want to start turning back. The enemy whispers in our ear, but how could God love you? How could he care about you? Well, the reason is, is because you're still his child. But you don't know what I've done. That doesn't matter. You're still his child. He loves you. And any parent understands that when the kid is screwed up the worst, they're still your child, and you might be frustrated as all get out. But man, nothing can can take that love away. I was thinking of a friend of mine. Her name was Andrea. Andrea was a year or two younger than I was in high school, but she was on my SMI team, and that's kind of how I got to know her. If I remember correctly, she was the youngest of a a number of sisters. And her older sisters were kind of late high school or I think they'd even just graduated. But her sisters had chosen not to walk with the Lord. And they were going to, I mean, they were in the party scene and they were into the boys and everything else. And had led to a lot of really bad life stuff. And I remember getting to know Andrea, and she was sharing. You know, I've I've seen I've seen what my sisters have done, and I see where that leads. And man, I I want to walk with the Lord. I want to know His best. And so she came, and she was just following Jesus with all her heart. And I wish I had a better way to express it, but it was just. It was so cool because she just blossomed, right? She, she was just thriving in her relationship with the Lord. And she was, there's just this glow about her. She just had this really sweet, cute personality. And she is on fire for Jesus. I don't know, it was maybe a year and a half, two years down the line. Notice I'm, I'm not seeing Andrea very much you ever had one of those moments it's like God just put someone on your heart and there's this, this tug and so I'm praying for her and I'm looking but I'm not seeing her and I, I actually just decided to go over and knock on her door and visit her um, which by the way is not as strange then as it is today right um, <laughs> as I sat down and talked to Andrea we had a wonderful conversation very honest very blunt, but very loving. But the short gist of it was simply this. I'll, I'll never forget it. it Andrea said, you know, I know that the choices that I'm making right now in my life are not what the Lord wants me to do. I've seen in my sisters where this is going to lead, but I'm going to do it Anyway. I mean, it was almost like, okay. My heart was crushed. I got to pray with her. It was wonderful being together, but I just walked away going, oh, this is not going to end well, and it didn't. I, I didn't really see or talk to Andrea for a number of years, but... It didn't, it didn't go well. I mean, a boatload of failed relationships, pregnancies outside of, of marriage, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And as and, and she was sitting there in her mess, though, uh, she came to that point of, of repentance, of, of turning back to the Lord. And it was so cool, because by the time I caught back up with her, probably, oh, I don't know, six, eight years later, uh, God had brought a a, a neat young Christian man into her life, and they got married, and her kids, she was bringing them to church, but she just all on fire for Jesus again, right? And this actually happened about the same time she was diagnosed, and she's probably in her uh, mid-26, 27, you know, just in her mid-20s, with a very aggressive form of cancer that was ultimately going to take her life. And I can remember going and visiting her in the in the hospital as she's going through the chemo and all that. And you can just tell felt terrible. But there's just a glow about her because she's praising Jesus. Right? She's witnessing to everybody who walks in the door. I mean, it was just so cool. Her relationship with the Lord. I mean, who she was in Jesus and that God loved her and, and that he had her was just, man, that was her thing. Literally to her dying breath. And here was one who a few years before had just in her rebellion. But see, our God is the God of undeserved standing. Even if you've shaken your fist to God, if you know him, you are his child. And if you've not come to know him, he stands there with open arms. He will embrace you and make you his child through his grace. There's a third thing here that his grace provides, which is undeserved rescue. You know, Jonah deserved to die. He deserved to die in, in, the, in the storm, in the sea, in the fish. Nineveh deserved the judgment that God was going to send. And one of, the, one of the neat aspects of, of turning to the Lord, right? We, we have to live with the consequences. There's, I mean, Jonah, obviously, there's this consequence of this. We don't know all that happened. Some have suggested because of others who have been swallowed by fish and, you know, alive and come back out that maybe the stomach acids of the sh- Fish had, had bleached his skin. We don't know. We don't know what kind of ongoing consequences there were. But he could have died, right? Or should have died. But God saves him from that. And so one of the cool aspects of his grace is that even when we're in that mess, if we turn, so often what God will do is he will protect us from some of those worst case things. And God will, will give us that undeserved rescue. His grace, my friend, is incredible. His grace is magnificent. His grace is so wonderful. Lean into the grace that Christ provides. Now, what triggers his grace? The trigger of his grace is redemption. We are we, repentance. We saw that last week. But we see it again here. Jonah turns back to the Lord. What, what do the people in Nineveh do? Well, one of the things you have to, to understand is repentance is not just, you know, it's not sorrow for sin. It's not feeling really bad because you got caught. It's not even in the moment of guilt or shame deciding, you know, in that motion, I'm gonna not ever do that again because you probably will. That's not repentance. What repentance is, is a change of, Mind—it's a change of attitude. It's bringing and aligning your thinking with God's thinking. So it's very interesting. The king of Nineveh—what does he say? Man, getting sackcloth, right? We're gonna—we're gonna do the physical aspects of this. But turn, verse 8, turn from your wicked ways. Turn from the violence, right? They start to see what they're doing from God's perspective. There's a true repentance. He calls it the way God sees it here. That's what it means to repent. We align our mind and our beliefs with what God says. And we see it from his perspective. We see how sinful it is. And that is what then triggers his grace That's what triggers his work in our life of of forgiveness, of of now, of of being able to know know those second chances of being able to come back and and our standing of who we are in Christ. Now, kind of a side note here, because you may not have noticed this, but we live in a really crazy world right now. We live in a crazy world where I mean, literally stuff 10 years ago, if you said some of the stuff that's being pushed today, you would have been looked at by the majority of people in society as an incredible pervert. But today, it's accepted, right? And and it's out there. And as believers, sometimes we can get really frustrated with that. But here's the thing. If it's repentance that triggers grace, then what we have to understand is sometimes it is hard to explain grace, to explain even the need for grace and forgiveness to those who don't have a repentant heart. Why? Because they don't see anything wrong with it. They don't see anything wrong with it. They have a hard heart. And to be honest with you, that doesn't just happen to people who don't know Jesus. That happens to Christians. You walk in disobedience, you walk in rebellion, you're going to get a hard heart. I cannot tell you how many times I've sat across from somebody who is a follower of Christ, who's chosen to go their own way, and they're messing up, you know, not only their life, but lives around them. They're, they're breaking Quite a few of the commandments, right? Oh, everything's good between me and God. I'm going, well, no, not really. Not really. But there's a hardness there. There's no repentance. So with that, what do we do? They don't understand their need for grace. Well, what we need to do is we need to pray. I think we need to pray for our nation. When you have a brother or sister in Christ who is starting to walk their own day, way like Andrea, it's just like, I'm gonna do my own thing. We need to pray that God will soften their heart. You know how he often does that? He often does that as they sit at rock bottom. And it causes them to see, but pray. You, you know, I, I was just reading, Tammy and I on our Bible reading, we were just there in, uh, in Chronicles, where God comes to Solomon, right? What do you what do you want? Whatever you ask, I'm gonna give it to you. And he asks for wisdom. Right? Cool prayer, correct? God commends him for that. Have you ever thought how cool it would have been if the one thing Solomon would have asked for is a soft heart that would never turn away from following God? That's what we need to pray for. That's what we need to pray for our nation. That maybe God will, has to take our nation to, to rock bottom. But that in the midst of the darkness will cause them to start looking and be open to the grace that God provides. And lastly, and I gotta be done, what we are called to do is to live with grace. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna give away next week, right? I don't, I don't wanna kill the plot of chapter 4. But it's all about the fact that now we who are recipients of grace are people that need to be, live with grace, right? We're supposed to reflect God's character. Our lives are to reflect God's grace. And sadly, sometimes as Christians, it's not. We start living by the law. We start living by, you know almost an anger of of people who don't measure up in our eyes. By the way, that's a dangerous place to be because if you're angry at others, most likely there's stuff that you're blinded to in your own heart because that is not a Christ-like heart. Remember how John explains the incarnation so Jesus, the word Becomes flesh and dwells among us, and we behold his glory. And glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And oh, by the way, full of grace and truth is not 50% grace and 50% truth. It's all grace and all truth. And to be real honest with you, that's hard. But that's exactly what we're called to live. We're called to live in all grace and all truth. We're called to live that in our marriage relationships. And so often we can just get, again, we can get almost legalistic. Well, they're not doing this or doing that. We're to live with grace and truth. We're to live that with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says that we ought to speak the truth to one another with love. Some people got all truth and no love, and other people got a love of a sort, no truth, But yet you see that. You you see that in reflection to the world. There's some believers that are out there all about grace, right? So they affirm everything. Everything's okay, right? They never stand in truth. And to be honest with you, there's another group, and Bible-believing Christians probably tend to be more on this side, where it's a lot more truth, right? And this is wrong, 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 and we're condemning everyone. And there is no grace. And we are called as people who have been recipients of grace way more, right? We don't deserve it. To be his image bearers and to share grace and truth. And that ought to affect the way we live. I'm going to be the first to tell you it's hard. It's hard in this world, it's hard to stand for truth. And yet to have compassion and grace. But I would argue that's exactly what Jesus did. Go and, you know, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's truth and there's grace. How do we do this? That's what we're called to do. Live with grace in our home, in our community of believers, and in this foreign land that we have called to be residents of while we wait to go home.